Oh, I haven't. I didn't totally get the thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you good. can. I did the thing, and then I did. I messed up afterwards. So just cut out where I messed up. That's usually what I do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us. Welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, talk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be talking about Ava DuVernay's latest film, A Wrinkle in Time. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And when we do, let's answer the question, why do you love movies? But in honor of A Wrinkle in Time, please answer the question in the form of a quote like Mrs. Who from the movie. I'm Lucas Wright, a designer in the Bay Area, and I love movies because art is not what you see but what you make others see. Degas, French. My name is Lawson Soward. I am an art director in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, I love movies because you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb around into his skin and walk around in it. Lee, American. I'm Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee, and a good movie has memorable scenes. And so does a good life. Miller, American. Mm, you and your Americans. <laughs> That's so funny. Because like, I laughed because I thought that the way Lucas was saying that was just being like a drop the mic kind of thing. But that's how she does it. No, that's, yeah, okay. that's the yeah. context. That's why I, I laughed. all this that's why info, I, I skimmed it so quickly. Right, uh, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Lucas. What are you feeling this week? Okay, guys. One, it has been a while since we've actually done a feeling it section. So True. I have so many things. I have so many things. But this week, the first thing I'm feeling is Thoroughbreds. Um, the new, I was going to say the newest film by writer-director Corey Finley. But I've never heard of Corey Finley. And I don't think anybody else has either. It's his directorial debut. It's his directorial debut. So, um, it stars Anna Taylor-Joy, Olivia Cook, and sadly, and finally... Anton Yelchin. Um, this movie is amazing. It is the most, or I would say one of the most minimal movies that I've seen, which is something that I absolutely love. Um, Anna Taylor-Joy and Olivia Cook are fantastic. And I think it is really a, kind of a slow burn story about class um, and about just emotional healthiness um it's it's it really is fantastic and it's so much fun to watch um visually like the style of this is beautiful it's about these two girls who um i mean i don't even want to i i'm not even going to get into plot at all i'll just let everybody kind of jump into this but um it's about two friends who are reconnecting in a suburban Connecticut, um, two very rich girls, uh, very upper class life, very Connecticut boarding school type stuff. Um, and I, yeah, I think everyone should not watch a trailer. If you want to watch a trailer, you can, cause it's an excellent trailer. But for me, the biggest thing that 
stood out in this movie is the soundtrack. It has such a unique um, score, and it's just absolutely mesmerizing and beautiful. Lucas, I'm so jealous that you've seen this already because I am very much looking forward to this movie. Um, I haven't had a chance to make it out to the theater to see it yet. Um, I've heard nothing but great things. I can't wait to see it. Um, I want to talk about, and you can cut this out, Lucas, if you consider this too much of a spoiler, I guess. I don't consider Mm. it a spoiler. Yeah. Um, But I think it's very interesting that we're having this resurgence right now, um, very much all at the same time, of these, like, violent, sardonic teen movies or media um, I've heard someone call this movie kind of like the Heathers of its generation. Right, yeah. Um, and it's just interesting to see, you know, this movie come out. There's a literal Heathers reboot that is in the works right now that's <laughs> supposed to come out, but has, you know, been delayed. Um, there we have The End of the Fucking World mm-hmm. um, that was just recently released. And there's another movie coming out soon, I think, called Flowers or Flower. Yes. Um, that I think feels, you know, that it fits into this grouping. Um, I think it's just a very interesting trend and I, I'm very curious of what it says about our time and our culture that teens that are possibly killers, um, or at least incredibly violent and witty Mm -hmm. at the same time, um, is a new trend. Yeah, I... I'm interested in 10 years out once what everybody says about this time. <laughs> I also am very curious, Lucas, mm-hmm. how do you think this possibly sociopathic teen yeah. in this movie compares to the possibly sociopathic teen in End of the Fucking World? Um, I think this is a better... I'm trying to figure out how to say this. He hasn't actually seen it, so he's trying to like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think it is a more interesting depiction of a sociopath. Um, again, not wanting to spoil either of those, yeah. <laughs> but, sure. but I think I think it, I think it just delves into that a little bit more than it does in End of the Fucking World. It, I think End of the Fucking World uses it more as kind of like a joke, um, and this one looks at it a little more okay. seriously. Um, it's just interesting that both of those trailers seem to very explicitly state that about these two yeah. characters. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I think, yeah. I, and I think in Thoroughbreds, um, that's more of a plot point mm-hmm. and less of like a gag. Okay. That's, that's, that's cool to hear. I'm, I yeah. can't wait to see it. Yeah. It is fantastic. Yeah. This movie was not even on my radar. And then all of the critics I trust the most on Twitter started raving about it. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm have, very excited to see this. Have you seen the trailer? No. You should definitely watch the trailer. It has some of the soundtrack in it, and it sounds like trailer music. The like tra- it sounds like something that people would put in a trailer. But all of that is in the movie. I oh, think cool. the trailer is rad. The trailer is so good. Um, <laughs> cool. I'll did either out. Did either of y'all see Me and Earl and the Dying Girl? Yes. Yeah, yes. I love yeah. that movie. Yeah. Um, so that's the same girl that's in this, and I'm excited yeah. to see her again. She's also going to be in Ready Player One this year, which is going to oh, be trash. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I mean, it will with that attitude, Lucas. <laughs> Just because the marketing is trash doesn't mean the movie has to be. Yeah. Okay. Let's get back on track. Okay. Lucas, I'm so excited about Thoroughbreds. What else are you feeling this week? Let's let's get it out all out on the table. 
I'm feeling I'm feeling something from Netflix per usual. Um, the and it's right on brand. The Western TV show Godless. Um, have you guys heard slash seen Godless? You know, Lucas, I have heard about it. And for a split second, I was intrigued until I heard more. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you give us some more info? Yeah, here's here's my thing. So, I think the marketing for this TV show was the the worst possible thing they could have done. Um, they misrepresented it. It is not what they told everybody it was, but it's still good is the thing. Um, this is a miniseries uh, created by Frank Scott, um, who does a lot of great work, but this was kind of pitched to really everyone as like, I don't know, like a female Western. It's about a town that um, all the men die in a mining accident, and basically it's all women left in this town. But the story isn't actually about the town, it's about the men who come to this town after this tragedy. Um, I think that it really threw me off coming into <laughs> to the first episode and yeah. realizing that, oh, that's not what this TV show's about at all. I'm very um, grateful that I learned that that was the case before I decided to give it a try. Because I think yeah. I would have been very angry if someone had pitched me a show about a town with no men, and then all of a sudden there's men there. And I'm like, well, that's not why I'm tuning in. I specifically yeah. tuned in because you told me there'd be no men. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, it's This stars Jack O'Connell and Jeff Daniels, and they are the main characters. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, what? yeah. Yeah, and, and so, like, it is a great Western. It, I, it really is really good. It's just not, I think, what was being pitched at all. Um, and I think if you separate that from... <laughs> from the marketing. If you separate the quality of the show from the marketing, um, it's very enjoyable. Um, and I think it does have s uh, some strong female characters in it. Um, but again, I think, I think, I think it could have been better, but I enjoyed it a lot. There's a lot of really interesting stuff that it does. Um, with this town of women, I think, um, you get, you get a character who, um, who was, who was married and basically, after the after the accident, just kind of decides she is just kind of gonna live her life on her own. She does she doesn't want to be tied to um, someone. She doesn't want to be um, kind of stuck in this situation again. And so she's like she's very interesting. You get another woman who um, is um, has kind of lost a couple different husbands and is just kind of also kind of trying to figure out how to do life with their ch child on her own and that kind of stuff. And so there are strong female characters. This is just, isn't a show about women. It's definitely about men, which is sad. Cause I'd love to see a female Western. <laughs> I <laughs> but, mean, it's sad that you wasted such a perfect pitch. Of yeah, that's right. A show about a, a town, a Western town that is all women. That is a perfect mm -hmm. pitch for a movie or a mm -hmm. show. And it, but, feels wasted. Also because that's because that's real. Like, exactly. like like that is something that happened and like Scott Frank said like the reason he thought it up is because he heard from many people that like that would happen like you'd have a mining town and people would go down in the mine and everybody would die and yeah. it'd just be the women yeah. left. Which, I listened so, yeah. to an interview with him about this show and mm -hmm. um yeah, he talked about how he has a researcher that when he's interested in like doing a new project, he just has this researcher do a ton of research for him. And yeah. one of the things his researcher discovered was these photos of all these women in the Western, you know, that lived in towns altogether. Yeah. Um, 
I'm glad that you're really liking it, Lucas. Um, I do love Jeff Daniels and um, Merritt Weaver. Is that her name that's in this? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad that it, it's good. Yeah, it's definitely good. It's definitely not what was pitched. But sure. if you guys do like Westerns, I think you'll love it. Right. Lawson, what are you feeling this week? Yeah, so I feel like I have mentioned this in passing a couple times on the pod, but I want to formally endorse uh, what I'm feeling this week, uh, which is YouTube TV. Uh, it's really great. I have never, I would not have guessed that I liked was going to like this service so much. So it is a service like Sling TV or PlayStation View or Direct TV Now, wherein you pay um, around thirty or forty dollars a month, and you get uh, access to all a bunch of local channels, and then a couple other cable channels. But it's all online. There's no connection to. You, know, you don't need a cable box. You don't need. Uh, all you need is an internet access. Um, and because it's TV through online, you get it in high def everywhere that you watch it. Um, you can access it from a lot more points, you know, your phone, your tablet, uh, your computer, all that good stuff. Um, and they finally uh, put out a Apple TV app for YouTube TV, so it integrates perfectly into your TV if you want to do that. It also does it with Roku and a couple other devices and Chromecast, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's just really great. Um, I, there are other offerings out there that do a similar thing, uh, but the interface on this is far and away the best because it's Google. Um, it's just so clean and so easy to use and uh, works really well on all my devices. I also love that it's like, it's 35 a month and you get six accounts on it. So like separate accounts where everyone can set up their own DVR, set up their own preferences, um, set up all that kind of stuff so if you can find like six reliable people or yourself and five reliable people you could split this cost five or six ways um and at you know 35 bucks a month that's a really good deal it's how i watch the oscars it's how i watch the olympics um it also has features that let you um just choose a show and it will record every time that show airs forever. Uh, every YouTube TV account gets unlimited DVR, so you can watch and record as much TV as you want, and uh, accessing it is super easy. It also uh, plugs in with a bunch of these networks and gives you basically everything on demand. So like, it has one of the net, it gives you the network FX, FXX, and FX Movies. And so every movie that's airing on FX Movies is available on demand anytime from YouTube TV. Another thing I really like about it is it gives you access to YouTube Red um, products or shows and services, and it gets rid of YouTube commercials. So the fact that you get those thrown in along with all the things you would get from like a Sling TV um, really make it useful for me because of just how much I'm on YouTube. That's interesting, Lawson, because in every research I've done, because I've looked into YouTube TV, and one of the things that has kept me from it is that it gives you my understanding of it was that it gives you access to YouTube red original content, but that it doesn't remove commercials like that. That is like a regular YouTube red membership would. Oh, well I've 
as I've been using it, I have not had commercials. Huh. So I don't know if I've just like gotten lucky. Sometimes there aren't commercials and I just, that has happened to me enough times yeah. consecutively. But um, that I could be, it could have changed, but the last time I checked it, I think it was very specific about the fact that a regular YouTube Red membership um, would give you Red content and no ads on YouTube, but that a YouTube Red membership through YouTube TV, you would still get ads, um, which I always thought was really lame. Um, that yeah. that was like a strange qualifier that they had. But and, and that's one thing that has kept me from exploring YouTube TV. Yeah, that is weird. I I mean, as I said, maybe I've just gotten lucky, but that has not been my experience. Okay. So I don't. Uh, take take that particular thing with a grain of salt. I don't want to false advertise anything. Sure. The unlimited DVR, though, sounds amazing. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, I We recorded almost the entirety of the Olympics. Um, <laughs> we recorded uh, so much of... We, we have SNL set to record live now in addition to streaming stuff. We also have Hulu, but one nice thing about this is a lot of times Hulu will cut out uh skits and or cut out musical acts because of rights management but if you mm. record it on your dvr you get to see the whole thing um also if somebody actually says the f word on hulu they cut it out the next day and you can watch it in all its glory if it's recorded on dvr <laughs> um, those precious syllables yes 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 um but yeah i've really enjoyed it and also uh things that it's just so great to have access to tv as it happens again um like, I Lindsay watches a lot of Keeping Up with the Kardashians as I'm designing, and so it's always funny to me. I'm like, wait, is, did this just happen? And she's like, no, we're two years behind because it takes them a year to make the show and then another year for it to be on Hulu. And now we can actually keep up with the Kardashians, so that's great. So now you're um, only a year behind. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but it's also great for shows like um, my second pick, if I can transition right into it. Please do. Uh, um, Atlanta on FX, which is a show I had to wait two years to watch. I was, I loved, um, episodes one and two whenever they, um, released them on YouTube. And I was so excited to watch the rest of the season one. And, um, I didn't have any way to watch it. So I had to wait until it got onto Hulu, um, just this past year. And I was bummed about having to do that again when it came out this season and I haven't had to have that same experience. I've been able to set it to record. And so there's been one day that I was able to watch it live as it was happening, which was great. But um, the second week I just recorded and I could sit down and watch it anytime I wanted, um, which is wonderful. And Atlanta is just incredible, incredible television. It's so cerebral. It's so interesting. It never goes where you think it's heading. And I have... The second season, these first, the last two episodes of season one were the best episodes of the series, in my opinion. There were some great ones, but the final two were really the top of the season. And the first two of the season have already been really, really remarkable. Um, the first episode in particular guest stars Cat Williams and uh, a full-size crocodile. And <laughs> it's uh, it's TV unlike anything anyone else is making. Um there was this New Yorker profile of Donald Glover that came out a little while back, um, a week or two ago, and I really have a hard time making it through uh, long-form edit 
like uh, journalism. And I read that interview all the way through, and that is also fantastically written and gives some really interesting insight into kind of where Donald Glover's, Glover's headspace is as a creator and just kind of as a person. Um, I recommend reading that all the way through. It's incredible. But the way that he talks about this show and the way that he talks about what he's trying to put out into the world make me like it even more. Um, it's TV that they kind of snuck in. Uh, Trojan Horse, they kind of promised FX one thing and now are trying to do their own thing all the time until they get, you know, thrown off or they're out of ideas. And what it's producing is TV that I don't want to talk about, like, plot details. I don't want to get into it. It's one of those shows where if you gave every item of the plot in a list, it would not match the show at all. Like, it wouldn't do the show justice in the way that it all weaves together and the the feel of the show itself comes off. So I, if you have not seen Atlanta, if season one somehow slipped under the radar watch it on hulu it's really really good and um i'm really feeling season two that's airing now yeah it's fantastic are you keeping up with it lucas yeah i love it yeah it's it's so crazy (laughs) yeah atlanta is a show that i know i should be watching and i just need to make time for you know it's one of those yep. things where it's like, oh, right, that amazing show that Donald Glover is making that you yeah. absolutely should be watching every episode that you're not. So I need to get back on the track with that. Only half hour. Totally sure. doable. Sure. It totally is. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Lawson. This week, um, the first thing I'm feeling is uh, I, I actually saw it a, a week or two ago, but, you know, we've been away for a little bit. So I'm bringing it up now. I got to see Annihilation. Um, have either of you seen Annihilation? It's so good. Much it's to so my dismay, good. I have not. Lawson, I want to see it before it leaves theaters. You really, really should try to see it before it leaves theaters. And I don't yeah. know when that's going to be because this movie isn't making a lot of money. And, you know, they tend to pull movies that aren't doing so well. So if... Um, it's already listening. in Netflix in the UK. Well, here's what happened with that is that the studio... Um, who was releasing Annihilation, they kind of figured they had a problem movie on their hands. They didn't really know how to market it. They didn't know how well it would do. And so before it was released, they decided, we'll still release it here in the U.S., but for the rest of the world, we're just going to put it straight to Netflix and not have to worry with rolling it out in theaters. Um, Which... I can understand that logic. It's what they did with Cloverfield Paradox. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is very sad for me that the rest of the world does not have access to this movie in theaters. Because this is a film that, wow, really should be seen on a big screen with an amazing sound system. Um, This film is so trippy. Um, There's... I, I really am looking forward to seeing it again. I, I'm, I'm going to try to see it again before it leaves theaters because there's so much now that I've seen it once that I want to keep an eye out for. Um, I I don't know how much I want to say about what this film is about. I guess I would say <laughs> it stars Natalie Portman and she plays a scientist that enters um, a sort of a... a an area on our planet. I, I'm going to call it a realm, but it's definitely on earth. Um, and 
that where nothing kind of makes perfect scientific sense. It's this landscape that's eating at the earth and um, she and a team of other scientists are going in to try to figure out what's happening. And one of the things that I, that makes me love Annihilation so much beyond the philosophical questions that it asks and the emotional landscape it, it explores with a, a group of really compelling characters um, is that this movie, I would say, is very terrifying. Not in a horror film way, but just more in a, like, edge-of-your-seat, creepy, eerie way. Um, and at the same time, it is stunningly beautiful in a very feminine way. And I think it is very... Um, I'm very impressed that this movie is able to understand and depict... That femininity and aesthetic, pastel colors, beautiful imagery, um, that all these things in nature that can sometimes be portrayed as feminine or, or delicate and beautiful can at the, at the same time be eerie and ominous and frightening. That to dis depict a frightening atmosphere, you don't need darkness and black sludge and you know all these things that we <laughs> typically think of when we think of scary movies um that you can use beauty and that that can also be frightening um i think that's something that's so unique to this film and that was my favorite part about it i think there's a lot more to love that i don't want to explicitly talk about um but that was my favorite aspect of this film and i and i really hope that a lot of people get a chance to see it yeah i will also shout out gina rodriguez in this movie is incredible yes um, and tessa she's so thompson else she's ever done it's so good yeah tessa thompson is in it as well um i i'm a big fan of her and seeing her and like um Tessa Thompson is a very versatile actress that I don't think people always re recognize. And in this movie, it's just one of her many shades. Um, but yeah, Gina yeah, Rodriguez I, is incredible. I feel like everybody gets to play a little, someone a little different than who they're yeah. like, typically cast as. Sure. Which I think is really neat. And I am a fan of Natalie Portman. And um, I think she is really killing it as the lead of this film. Um mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 really something special. I've been listening to the score. Um, I kind of want to like host a light bath or something and just play this <laughs> score. You know, it's it's yeah, it'll really do something to you. Um, yeah, but I need more people to see this movie so that I can talk about this movie with them. So Seriously. please, people, go see it. Um, okay, so this next thing that I'm feeling um, before I talk about it, I want to ask you guys. So y'all are both big fans of the Great British Baking Show, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. So, I have a baking show that I have discovered that I have fallen in love with that I really, really hope that the two of you check out. Um, what would you say really compels you about the Great B British Baking Show? What's, like, the, the innate quality or, or goal of the show that you admire. I would Go say right loveliness ahead. as a whole, camaraderie and friendship, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Um, 
the idea that it's amateurs working together and they're not trying to be uh though it is a competition they are not being cutthroat or competitive with one another it feels like they're really competing against their self trying to do the best that they can do and the judges also do a great job of telling someone when they've done one thing well even if another thing didn't work out okay so if you like all those things i think you will like this baking show um however there is something inherently different about this show that is why I love it and why I've never checked out Great British Baking Show. Um, there is a new little show on Netflix called Nailed It. Have either of you heard of it? <laughs> yes. Okay. I have heard of it. Nailed It is this hidden gem. Nailed It is a baking show, but instead of gathering incredibly talented people who are creating beautiful pastries and trying their best recipes out and you know it's a, it's a true competition of talent nailed it is about at home bakers who may or may not be good at baking trying to make the most impossible cakes and baked goods you've ever seen and failing <laughs> at it so miserably um nailed it is so funny it's basically like pinterest fails if you're familiar with that concept as a tv show um <laughs> the way they set it up is they have you know three new bakers for every episode um and there's only six at 30 minute episodes in the whole season so this you can eat this show right up um each episode has three at-home bakers who are competing for ten thousand dollars and by doing that, they have to compete in two challenges. The first one is supposedly the easy challenge. It's where they have to make an intricately designed donut or a emoji cake or, you know, different different cakes or baked goods that have some intricate design to them. Um, and you watch them go through this challenge and the results are always just so funny because they barely look anything like what they're supposed to make. And, <laughs> um, and the best thing about this show is that you're laughing so hard at the failures of the people on TV, but they are laughing right along with you. The tone of the show is so perfect and that, um, the people who are making these baked goods and are failing miserably are completely in on the joke. They're not panicked or crying or, you know, we're not looking at someone in a state of emotional disarray. Um, we're looking at... It's not making fun at their expense. No, no one is being made fun of, but we're all laughing together at how miserable their attempts are. <laughs> and I know that it sounds so simple, but let me tell you... I have never laughed as hard as I have laughed at episode two of this show. I was crying. I was laughing so hard. Um, <laughs> after the first challenge, which is supposed to be the easy challenge, they then move on to the second challenge where they have to make a cake that is so huge and intricately designed that whenever they reveal the cake that these two these people are about to make their draws their jaws literally drop and that's one of my favorite moments is just seeing their reaction to what they're <laughs> supposed to make um, yeah. sometimes it's 
a like a cake that's supposed to look like a tower with a Rapunzel in it. And, or sometimes it's like the head of a shark with intricately drawn out teeth and surfboards. And um, these are cakes that insanely talented professionals probably took hours to make and that our competitors are given maybe two hours to try to recreate. And <laughs> it, they're completely set up to fail. Um, but watching them fail is so fun. And what also is fun about the show is that it's delightfully low rent. Um, they, I think, sometimes I think they're playing up the bit um, but sometimes I think it's actually real in which things that would never happen on a professionally produced reality show happen on this one where, you know, one of the guest judges doesn't know how to read the teleprompter and they just kind of keep that in. Or um, <laughs> one of the judges might need to, like, leave for a sec to go pick up their kid. And they're like, you're, you're leaving? And like, yeah, yeah, I'll be right back. Don't worry. <laughs> um, there's a fun recurring bit with like one of the assistant directors, like never remembering to bring the trophy out at the right time. And it's all very, very playful, which I love. It's hosted by Nicole Byer, who I brought mm -hmm. up last, a few episodes ago. Um, I brought up loving her podcast. What happened was I listened to every episode of her podcast, couldn't get enough of her, so I followed her on Instagram, and that's how I figured out she was hosting this show. Um, and she is a delight of a host. If you love Nicole Byer, you'll like her in this. If you've been iffy about Nicole Byer, I think you'll still like her in this because um, I think she's funny, but she's not as like over the top as she gets to be on her own projects because it is like a sweet baking show. Um and so I had a blast watching these episodes. I think it's the perfect thing to watch when you want to zone out. It's the perfect thing to watch if you're, like, busy doing something else. Um, if you want to just laugh really hard, it's a good option. So nailed it on Netflix. <laughs> I will definitely check that out. That sounds super interesting. Yeah, that sounds really fun. I, I would also say whether or not you are a baker, it's a great show to watch. And it gives you a lot. I learned a lot of good tips about baking. It is educational. Um, sometimes the tips are sincere. Sometimes they're tongue in cheek. Like the one time a person forgot to put flour in her cake mixture and put into a pan just a mix, a liquid mixture of eggs and milk and sugar. Um, oh my gosh. And they have these little texts pop up, you know, like tips and tricks. And one of them says, <laughs> a mixture of eggs, milk, and sugar without flour is just an omelet. <laughs> <laughs> and so they have a lot of fun with the humor throughout the show. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I can't wait to hear hear what y'all think of it. That's nice. awesome. All right. Now we are going to move into our main topic. We're going to discuss A Wrinkle in Time. But before we do that, I think, Lawson, you're going to be heading out. I do have to duck out. Y'all have a great conversation. I can't wait to see it and talk with it. Talk with you about it more. Thanks for that, Lawson. All right. So let's get into A Wrinkle in Time. What was your expectation level before you went and saw this movie? 
Yeah. So I I loved these books growing up. Like the whole series, I think was a lot of fun. But this this one specifically was one that I definitely reread. Um, and so it's one of those where if you're very into a piece of art and somebody's going to adapt it, you have stuff that is in your head that you saw um, growing up as you kind of read this. And for me, and so for me, like going into, I knew like, this isn't going to look the way that I pictured it growing up, which I think in some ways is really great. And in some ways you, you know, you just, it's never going to hold a candle to your imagination. (laughs) And so, um, and so I think I had pretty good expectations as to what this was, was going to be going into it. Um, for me, I had read the book as a kid, but it's been a very long time. So I remember mm-hmm. liking the book, but not remembering a ton from it, you know, and mm-hmm. not enough so that I couldn't watch this movie and say like, oh, well, that's not how they did it in the book. Although <laughs> there are a few scenes where I was like, oh, I think I remember this that they didn't include, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So but so not too great of a ta- an attachment to it. Um I was very excited about this movie because of Ava DuVernay, because of yep. the cast. Um, mm-hmm. I've been, I think, I feel like I've been tracking this movie ever since it was announced that, you know, Oprah and Mindy Kaling and Reese Witherspoon would be starring in it. <laughs> um, I follow Ava DuVernay on Instagram. Um, so mm-hmm. I've been seeing a lot about this movie being made because Ava DuVernay is very, uh, she puts a lot of value into giving credit to every single person that works on a film. So if you follow her on Instagram, when she's going to work on ADRing for the movie, she like makes sure that every ADR technician gets to say hi and gets to say their name and what they do on the film and her Instagram stories. And I really appreciate about her, that about her. Um, but seeing that means that I've been seeing things about A Wrinkle in Time for quite a while now. Um, yeah. It's definitely been building up in my head. And I have to admit, I was a bit concerned when some of the critical reaction came out. And it was, I, I would say, mixed on mm-hmm. a lot of mixed opinions about this. Um, so I was concerned going into it, but still excited. Lucas, how did you feel about A Wrinkle in Time? Yeah, so I... First off, I'll say this. I definitely liked the movie. Um, I think for me, I was expecting it to be more grown up. And by that, I I just mean like, like this is definitely still like I pictured it being a kid's movie, but just having more things for adults to latch onto in this movie, which I feel like were stripped out a little bit. And this is very much like a movie at kids <laughs> like very like and so i i feel like for me that was difficult to see because i feel like the book does a great job of dealing with issues that um are a little more universal and everyone can relate to and um having stuff there for adults too i think that's one of the things that i love about pixar movies is they are movies that are for adults that kids can watch um and this is not that, which is totally fine. This is a movie for kids that adults can watch. <laughs> um, and so I think which is why I wasn't as into it. It is still a good movie and I still liked it. But um, I think the book is also super complicated. And so there's some stuff that you do that you have to strip down to make it a little make it make a little more sense for a younger audience. So you liked it, but it wasn't as much as you expected. It I'm wasn't getting? as much as I expected. Okay, yes. gotcha. I would, I would give it a positive review, um, but it wasn't something that I loved. Okay. You know, 
going into this movie, I kept hearing, like I said, some people that loved, loved it. Some people that really thought it was bad. Um, some mm-hmm. people that th- uh, the major consensus I kept hearing was visually stunning script is bad. Um, there are some parts of the script that I think are actively terrible. <laughs> that's, I, I, I'm interested to hear those. Um, yeah. I loved this movie. I was watching it with a cynical eye because of that reception. And I kept watching it thinking, I don't know what people are talking about. I think this movie is fantastic. Um, I was on the verge of tears throughout most of it. I don't know. It's so yeah. <laughs> the movie. It's the movie existing. I think made me very emotional as mm-hmm. well as a lot of the things happening in the film. Um, Ava DuVernay is such a masterful creator of worlds and not just the worlds that we travel to, which of course are amazingly created. um, But even just the worlds that we're seeing on earth that our main character, Meg Murray is living through. um, There are so many beautiful details about her experience, about her home life, about her school life that really place you in the world that she's in. And I love that attention to detail that Ava DuVernay has. Um, This movie's cast, I think, is really something special. Uh, Yeah. Watching the chemistry between the three misses and then also the chemistry between Chris Pine and Gugu uh, Mothbara, and I, I, I don't think I said her last name correctly, unfortunately, but... Um, all of these actors are just like top of their game doing beautiful work in a movie where they could have, I think, just phoned it in. Um, Mm -hmm. and I really appreciate that. Um, like the critical consensus says the visual aspect of this film was mind blowing to me. Um, I'm always so impressed when I see someone create a new planet in a way that I never imagined. Um, the the amount of ingenuity it takes to like completely envision an entirely new ecosystem and world always surprises me. And the visuals in this film um, just totally took me away. I love the visuals that are computer animated or computer generated and that are all these new, you know, environments and landscapes, but especially I loved the styling of all the characters. Um, Mm -hmm. Man, these costumes are something like I've never seen before. The makeup, the hair, the costumes. I think everything is such a specific choice from the extravagance and the whimsy of all the different misses to the plainness of the kids' clothing, I think is really special, Um, to the kind of terrifying surrealism of some of like the villains clothing. Um, I, I really was so immersed by, by all these different visual choices. Um, and most importantly, I just really loved the journey that these characters went on. Um, I think I can tend to be a very cynical person, but when it comes to art, especially art made for children, um, I, relish the earnestness and the sincerity that this movie brings forth. Um, and it is very earnest. Um, very much so. And I'm okay with that because my goodness, if we can't 
have this level of earnestness and and love in our films for that, that we make for our children, I mean, where else can we have it? So I, yeah. I had a, a ton of fun with it. I thought it was so beautiful on both a visual and emotional level. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really hope that this is a movie that a lot of kids see and remember growing up. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, I think it's really exciting for a bunch of kids to be able to see themselves on screen yeah. and not, not only because we have a, a black main character, but also just because we have a, a kid main character who is self-conscious and who is, um, I don't know, like struggling. And I think that's interesting because I feel like a lot of times with kids in lead roles, they're always precocious and fun and you don't get to see them like have a hard time with being themselves and have a hard time struggling with, um, kind of who they are. And that's something that I feel feel like all kids go through. And I think it's really cool to see that on screen. I think that was one of my favorite things is, um, having a kid character who doesn't like herself yeah, and dealing with that. There's someone on Twitter. I felt there's a, a tweet I saw called from Matt Santori. And he said one of his observations about a wrinkle in time was it's earnest and treats a girl who has low self-esteem with respect instead of ridicule. And I think that bothers a lot of men. And I think that's an interesting observation that this movie about, Oh, young girl with low self-esteem like learning how to break through that and uh it it really does respect her journey and it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't make fun of her for it or minis- minimize it in a way that i think right. a lot of other films might um yeah. or i and i think the journey that the main character goes on is this truly respectable and um, mature journey that a lot of films don't provide to like a young character. Um, yeah. I think it has a sense of what's the word I'm looking for? Like worth and weight to it and not just, mm-hmm. it, I don't think it has a lot of easy fixes. Um, yeah. I, I think it really, she really goes through the struggle of it. Um, Another critic that I really like, Devendra Hardawar, I think he tweeted something to the effect of, like, this movie is this generation's hook where kids will never forget it and it will become a part of them even though it's, like, kind of bad. And I disagree that this is a bad movie. I think it's very good. But (laughs) I would be happy if this movie sunk into this generation the way Hook, I feel like, sunk into ours. Um, Mm -hmm where the characters are instantly recognizable. You feel transported. Um, I, like I said, I had a blast with this film. I think that, and I'm not speaking to you, Lucas, but to anyone who is nervous about this film or watches it and doesn't really see, understand why I particularly enjoy it. Um, I would say um, there's someone I follow on Twitter. Her name is Ashley Ford, and she had some amazing things to tweet about seeing this film, particularly in response to um, being a young girl missing her father. Ashley Ford talks about how her father was incarcerated and what that experience is like growing up, and relating the two of these story those stories together put this film in an entirely different perspective for me, and what this film is trying to say about youth and and family and parenting. Um, 
So I would check out her work and her re- and her writing about this because um, I think it'll give you a new perspective. One of the things that I felt like was missing from, I mean, obviously, like there's lots of things you have to cut from the novel. Yeah. Um, but, but I think the biggest thing for me is like the conversations just about faith. And I feel like that's something that not only Disney does, but like a lot of people do with children's media, like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe movies that came out, um, his Dark Materials movie that came out. Like those are books that are very based in conversations around faith and different faiths. But to pull, to take that out of the movie and take that out of the conversation, I think I think you're missing a lot. Just because kids, like that, is something that is in kids' lives is conversations around faith and religion and stuff like that. And I think, I think we're missing something by not being able to have those conversations on screen. Um, and one of the things like his, his dark materials, it's very like nihilistic and is, you know, is God even real? Is God against us? Like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like taking, taking that out doesn't ruin the movie, but it, it take it takes away a big chunk of what that movie should have been about and what that story is about um and so kind of the same thing here like i feel like i feel like we should be able to have these conversations and to me it's interesting when movies do kind of are 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 able to kind of incorporate that like the big sick was one that um faith is a big part of that movie and just like you know his concerns with it his questions around it and i and um same thing with the movie gringo gringo that just came out that's that's part of it that i thought was really interesting and i think it just makes a movie more interesting if you're having conversations that real people are also having um and so i was i think that was one of the things that i was also disappointed by in this movie that that none of that is in there at all um when you could really have, I think, a lot of very interesting, I don't know, n- not necessarily like portrayals of faith, but just like a lot of interesting dialogue and uh, conversation that could deepen the movie a little bit more for me. Again, it is a kid's movie, but it is, I think, something that kids are, you know, dealing with and talking about and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Um, yeah, it, it is sad that the Disney of it all, you know, this movie has to play in how many different countries and, and with how many different landscapes and that the, um, the inherent, you know, um, the instinct is to just remove any of that discussion so that Mm -hmm. as to not offend any one particular group. Um, whereas I think that there is a way where you can have the discussion where it's not offensive or, or limiting. It's just involving a discussion. Um, right. And so, yeah, I agree with you. I wish that this movie could have delved a little bit deeper into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, like, and we'll talk more about this in spoilers, but a lot of this movie is just about love and, like, what, like, the power of love and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And obviously that is super universal. Um, Everybody can get on board with love. Right. (laughs) But, um, but I feel like, I feel like there's more to it that, that, I don't know, could have been exercised and just kind of played with a little bit more. Well, that's a great point. Anything else before we move on to spoilers? No, let's talk about spoilers. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. No, crack and gas. Spoilers! Remember, you wanted this. I think that the ending scene of this movie, when they're essentially inside it, um, was really impressive to me because 
I think it could have been done very cheesily. And maybe you think it is very cheesy. But, <laughs> but I think the idea of having... Um, and, and then also leading up to that scene where, where Charles Wallace is kind of possessed. Um, mm-hmm. I think having this child actor become this terrifying villain is such a cool move. And he, that kid is so good at being creepy and mean. And um, the, that expression of self-doubt manifesting in all of your worst fears about yourself and then overpowering them anyway, I thought was like a really beautiful moment. Um, yeah. I, I'm interested to hear what you think the, the parts of really bad writing are in this movie. <laughs> um, all, I think all the bad writing stuff comes at the beginning. I think the okay. end um, is really, really good, really, really well performed as well as well written. Um, I think like, like I said, like the, the, the message of love and not only the love that she has for Charles Wallace at the kind of at the end here that she's expressing, but also like learning to love herself, I think is really cool and really interesting. Um, that, that scene is like one of those from the book that it's like, I have thought about this scene so many times. (laughs) And, and so obviously like seeing it on screen is awesome, but it's also very different from what I pictured in my head. Um, but I was, I was very excited to get to see that um, kind of expressed. Um, as far as the writing goes, the I thought I thought like the introduction to this movie, kind of the the beginning, is missing because I think one of the things that you really miss at the beginning is seeing her love for Charles Wallace. You definitely see Charles Wallace's love for her and her mm-hmm. his kind of protectiveness of her, um, but you don't see the other way around, which I think is very important to this story. Mm. I also think I also think the introduction of the characters of the misses was very very exposition heavy. It was just like this is who she is and this is kind of what she does. Yeah. Um as opposed to I, I think you could have done a much more natural um kind of intro for these to give them a little more personality. I think the way they were acted and the way they went throughout the movie, they had the most personality that was fantastic. Yeah, man, I <laughs> but, love Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon is oh, just so good. That that was the other thing. The whole time I was watching her, I was like, man, she needs to be in way more things where she gets to be kind of plucky and fun. I feel yeah. like a lot of her stuff, like most more recently, has been very like somber and. But like watching Big, Big Little Lies in this, where she gets to be very a precocious adult, I think yeah. is so much fun. <laughs> oh. Um, you know, one thing that I was going back and forth on, whether I liked it or not, was the stuff with, like, the bully. Um. Yeah. I think my instinct was to not appreciate that and to think that this is, like, cheesy, like, you know, lame writing. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. And yet, you know, like, the thing that I have to keep reminding myself is that sometimes children are that cruel. You know, like, I think sometimes we see stuff like that in movies where bullies do things, and you're like, I mean, this is ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> who would, like over the top. Right, who would do this? <laughs> like, yeah. when there's a note on her locker that <laughs> says, Happy anniversary, I wish you would disappear too. Yeah. On the anniversary of her father's disappearance. Yeah. 
that is so insanely cruel that you that it's almost like are you kidding me and yet i don't i think as adults we sometimes forget that there are teens and children that are that cruel and that stuff like that actually does happen um i witness you know i witness it online where you see someone who is like maybe suicidal and people message that person to kill themselves all the time, you know, like, like people will do stuff like that. Um, I think our survival instinct is to like pretend that it doesn't happen. And so that is how I've kind of, you know, rectified or like how I've kind of decided that that sequence with that bully is not lame writing, but actually just like kind of insightful. Um, the there was there was a scene from the book that I know I saw in a trailer that did not make it into this movie that I was a little mm. bummed about. Um, so there's a very like I think iconic scene from the book where they explain I believe to Calvin exactly like what a wrinkle in time would be with like an ant on a string. Yeah, and I know I've seen in a trailer that a scene of them doing that explanation and that didn't seem to make it into the movie yeah that's a good point i forgot about that scene i was um definitely looking out they they don't ever explain it do they they never explain not really they kind of explain (laughs) through chris pines like raving at that conference they use that kind Mm -hmm. of scene to like explain that like time can be you can travel through time you know very quickly um by wrinkling it um, but I always, for, I remember as a kid, that scene with the ant on the string really put everything into perspective for me. Like, it was such a perfect way to illustrate this major scientific concept. Um, and so I was bummed that it didn't get included in the movie, especially since they did seem to film it. There was also a scene from the book that I'm not surprised they didn't include in the movie because I would I don't know how you would even film this. You know, there's so much. <laughs> but there was a scene that I remember sticking with me where I guess Meg and, and Charles Wallace and Calvin go to some planet where the creatures don't see or speak. Yeah, Ant Beast. Yes, and they just kind of feel... And yeah. they and the idea of like sight seems so like comical to that creature, you know, like like why would you need that when you have all these other different senses, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that scene just really always stuck with me in a, in a very impactful way, and uh, and so I didn't expect to see it, but when I miss when it wasn't included, I was like, yeah, well, that would be hard to film, <laughs> you know? Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um. I also want to talk about the scene where Meg, at the very end, finally tessers successfully, mm-hmm. and how beautiful I thought that was. How throughout throughout the film, whenever they tesser, we see her, and it's like dark, and she feels suffocated and painful, and she doesn't really understand what's happening, and then all of a sudden she's in a new place. And I thought it was so cool how at the end to visually represent that when you know and love yourself, 
growing and moving from place to place can be this beautiful, enlightening experience full of like vivid colors and sights and beauty versus like the suffocation and the darkness of change when you are not happy with yourself. I thought visually yeah. that was such a cool thing to tell people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I thought yeah, I think visually there's so much cool stuff going on in this movie. Um which I think kids are going to love. Yeah. But it's also like something that adults can like really like latch on to sure. as like there's stuff in this movie that you've never seen before, which is amazing. Yeah. Um also Zach Galifianakis is good. Like I Yeah, he's great. Like, not that he's normally bad or anything like that, but just like him in this movie is, I think, perfect. Like it was perfect casting. Yeah. Let me tell you who else is great in this movie who whenever I see him, I'm always like, oh, you're so good. You make this better is Michael Pena. Yeah. Yep. When I yeah. saw Ant-Man, I had a one sentence <laughs> review, which was it needs more Michael Pena. And yeah. <laughs> when I saw this movie. I really thought that as well. Like, this mm -hmm. movie needs more Michael Pena. He's so good. Yeah. Oh. He really is. <laughs> I loved his styling. I loved the the casual, like, jovial sinisterness that was that he portrayed. Oh, he was so good. Yep. Um, yep. I also really loved um, what I read in a review someone referred to as Reese Witherspoon's Lettuce Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I was as I was watching that happen. I was like, "How do I describe what this is?" Yeah, like, it's, it's, but that's correct. But yeah, it the was lettuce dragon. So beautiful. I, again, that innovative concept design is just like mm -hmm. it's amazing to watch. You know, you watch it and you're like, "I truly have never seen something like this before," and I loved every moment of it. Like I said, I was on the verge of tears throughout the majority of this movie. Every time Oprah said anything, every time, like, um, you know, Meg was, like, going through a hard time. But the part where I really started to break down was when there was a fairly long scene where Chris Pine and Meg Murray are, re like, and Storm Reed are mm -hmm. reunited. And they just kind of cry and hold each other for quite a bit of time. Yeah, um, yeah. That was really rough in such a perfect way. Um, I was surprised at how long that scene lasted. Yep. But it was so good. Yeah. You know, earlier when I was talking about the worlds that Ava DuVernay creates, um, there's so many fun little details that she peppers in throughout this movie. And a lot of that is through, like, media references and now, mm -hmm. obviously, it's very easy to pepper in media references through Mrs. Who, but also, like, little things like the book that um, Meg's mom is reading at the house that mm -hmm. Reese Witherspoon picks up is, like, a book about Native American women. And just, like, little details like that that show this mm -hmm. is a house that values knowledge and different diversity and different perspectives on the world and um and then also using the mrs who quotes to also convey that you know um right let me tell you how much i started crying when the very last quote that mrs who gave was one by from lynn Mel manuel miranda um yeah to have something that's recent but that mm -hmm. is 
I feel like just as impactful and beautiful as something Shakespeare has written, the line, tomorrow there'll be more of us, is like, oh, I'm getting emotional right now just thinking of it. (laughs) That is a beautiful line in that play, and it fits so beautifully in this story. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's why adaptations like this I think are special. Of course, the book is amazing, but the book was written in a specific time period where all of those, you know, references that Mrs. Who gives are literary and to adapt this movie, this story and make it feel timeless and fresh and modern all at the same time, I think is special and, you know, something that only a talent like Ava DuVernay could probably pull off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think all of my qualms with this movie lie more with the writing than with um, anything Ava DuVernay did. (laughs) Um, But I also think I just, you know, this is like, to me, this is definitely a kid's movie and aimed at kids, which isn't a bad thing at all. Um, It's just not my cup of tea. But I will say the, the, my favorite shot is at the very beginning when you're introduced to Charles Wallace and he's sitting in the principal's office um, and on the wall is a picture of James Baldwin and Charles yeah. Wallace is sitting just like James Baldwin. And oh. like that, that shot is amazing. And it's like you, you start to get Charles Wallace like immediately for just from that. It's so good. Right. Oh, what a beautiful movie. I just, yeah. if only I just, I long for a world in which all children's films are treated with this level of respect. Um, Because I get, let me tell you, I saw a bunch of trailers for some kids' movies before this (laughs) that really depressed me. Yep. (laughs) In particular, one about garden gnomes that I just can't believe truly exists. Um, Yep. So, yeah, I had a beautiful time with this movie. Um, I'm glad that you got to see it, Lucas. I hope that. It makes a lot of a lot of money, and that a lot of kids really, you know, get this embedded in their brain. Definitely. All right. Well, you can find more information about our podcast on our Twitter account at Feeling It Pod. Um, where Lucas can we find you online? You can find me everywhere online at Lucas and Stuff. And you can find me everywhere at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A M S T U T Z. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 